0: I'm really excited that this episode is sponsored by
1: Wooker, who make products with purpose. Their period pants are underwear that fully absorbs your period and doesn't let it leak. Now, if you know me, you'll know that period pants literally changed my life and Wooker's innovative undercrackers help me wake up and kick ass, which is what Wooker stands for. On my heavier days, I wear them alongside my menstrual cup and on lighter days, I wear them by themselves. For more FAQs, definitely check out the IGTV I filmed on Instagram. Taboo breaking, inclusivity and environmental responsibility are at the heart of everything Wooker do and they source ethically and sustainably throughout their entire supply chain. If you're keen to give these pants a go, I have an exclusive 20% discount code for my listeners running for the next month. Just use ATST20 at checkout. So that's wooker.co.uk and code ATST20. Free to just eat your sandwich as we go because I am actually like me not having lunch is like a a shame, but really not the end of the world. (laughs) You not having lunch is a big deal, babe. So please feel free to just get your gob around that asani. I've got like one bite left, so if I can just finish this right now, then then we're done. Perfect. (laughs) Welcome back to the show. It is Monday, the 19th of July, and it is 1.33pm. It's hot right now in England. It's very, very warm. I'm absolutely loving it. I'm actually very happy about the fact that summer has finally decided to join us here in the UK. Today, I am absolutely thrilled to have an excuse to talk about sports because this week I'm chatting to Olympic athlete Jasmine Sawyers. Jasmine is a professional long jumper. She literally jumps and gets paid for it. She's also a former bobsledder and she's a singer-songwriter hailing from Stoke. As you'll hear in this interview, Jasmine's personal philosophy is to say yes to as much as possible and this has taken her to the final of the Rio Olympic Games, Will Iams' team on The Voice UK and hosting the red carpet at BBC Sports Personality of the Year. Jasmine's energy and zest for life is completely infectious. As soon as she joined me for this virtual record, I immediately felt my energy lift and I think you'll be able to hear that in this interview. It was just so cool to hear all about her training regime and we discussed her advocacy work for both periods and black lives in athletics, her TED talk, dating another athlete and so much more. Now, when we recorded this interview, Jasmine was just a couple of days away from the competition that would mean she would or wouldn't qualify for the British team for the 2020 Olympics. Not only did our girl qualify, she retained her British title, came first and jumped a stadium record of 6.75 metres. What an absolute legend so i for one am team jasmine all the way at this year's olympics and i can't wait to watch her compete let's crack on with the interview i really hope you enjoy this one here's jasmine sawyers on all the small things Jasmine, hello. I'm so excited to have you here, but let's begin as we always do. I'd love to hear so much how you start your days. Do you have any rituals you like to practice each morning?
2: So, I've accidentally developed a morning ritual of waking up with a cup of coffee. I bought a coffee alarm clock and I ummed and ahred over it for about a year before I bought it because it was expensive. Um, But I waited until it went into a sale bought it and when i tell you the novelty still hasn't worn off almost two years later it basically you can set it to um make you a cup of coffee either either at the same time you wake up five minutes before five minutes after um i set it so that as my alarm goes off the coffee's just finished
1: brewing okay Um, listeners can't see me but my (laughs) mouth is wide open right now
2: (laughs) It is my pride and joy. And when I go away for competitions, uh, I miss it so much. So my morning every day starts with a cup of coffee pretty much as soon
1: as I've opened my eyes. That um. is absolutely <laughs> incredible. That's incredible. Now, obviously, you're an athlete. So I'm assuming, especially at the moment with the time that we're in, that all of These, that time is very, very important and structure is probably very, very important to your days. Can you like run me through a day in the life of? Your training at the moment. I'd love to, are you you time blocking? How are you fitting everything in? So I've never really
2: done time blocking. I've heard a lot about it and I see the merits of it, but I've never done it. I don't think I'm quite organized enough for that. Uh, My mornings are very structured. So my mornings, it depends where I am. My coach is based in Florida, but um, I'm currently in the UK. When I'm in Florida, the mornings are completely structured. So we're at the track at 9am. We train down at the track until... 11, half, 11, 12, depending on the session, it could be long jump session, it could be sprints, it could be medicine ball throws, it could be a whole number of things, Um, I could be doing hurdle hops, plyometrics, and between 11 and 12, we then head up to the gym, Uh, we'll be in the gym for about an hour and a half, and that's where the sort of strict structure ends, because after that, I'll go home for lunch, and then it could be almost anything. I could have physio to go and see in the afternoon. I could have a sports psych meeting in the afternoon. I could have a sponsor commitment. So I could have to go off and do an Adidas photo shoot, for example. Um, Or I could have the afternoon to myself. And so that changes pretty much every day. Um, At the moment, because we're in the run up to the Olympic trials, and it's sort of one of the most important times in the year there's even less to do so the training doesn't last as long as that I can get to the track at sort of 10 10 30 and that's not a problem I'll train for an hour and a half to two hours total and then most of the time I will then get physio uh, or see the osteopath um to get my body looked after and then I'll come home and kind of look after my body more uh again lunch I might take a nap I might sit in the recovery boots. I'll foam roll, stretch, maybe get an Epsom salts bath. I love a middle of the day bath. That's one of my Ooh. favorite things to
1: do. And it counts as work. So I'm all for that. <laughs> <laughs> I really don't know much about how athletes exist. So I'm living for this. Because I imagine this is quite an exau- like exhausting time, obviously physically, but also mentally. Like there's a lot of pressure.
2: Yeah, I think mentally more than physically is exhausting. Because right now, all the hard training's done. Um, we don't really do much hard training at this point because you don't want your body to be sore or tired at the day of competition. So really you're just sharpening up. There's not much left to do physically. So all the exhaustion is definitely mental. I was just at the track today saying how I just wish the trials would come sooner because I have all this nervous energy and I don't really know what to do with it. The sort of really hard graft happens in the months before this. Um, you prepare your body to be able to run the races, but you have to be fresh. You know, you need your legs to be feeling as fresh as possible on the day of the race or the competition. Um, And in order for your legs to feel fresh, you have to have not done too much. So you need to be well rested.
1: Let us wind back the clocks. I would love to hear about your childhood and where you grew up. Um, Sport was always a big part of your life. Apparently you were a gymnast from the age of four. So yeah, run me through your childhood and also how, how sport kind of, came into your life? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm from Stoke-on-Trent, proudly from Stoke. I uh, love being from Stoke.
2: And my parents uh, raised me and my two younger brothers there. I had always been interested in sport. I've always been competitive. Um, And so from a super young age, my parents put me into sport, uh, partly, I think, to drain some of my excess energy, Um, but largely for an outlet for my competitiveness. Um, I started in gymnastics, like you said, when I was four. I was competing by the age of five.
1: Wow. <laughs> it was, I, rem- I still
2: remember my first competition. I can remember, I think I got a bronze medal and the announcer said, this is Jasmine and we're in third place. She's just had her fifth birthday. Oh! <laughs> and um, I was hooked. I was hooked on competition. Um, I always wanted to win. I really hated losing. And I think that was what drove it as I hated losing so much.
1: That is so interesting because I do think a lot about um, the kind of notion of being competitive and like whether or not we're born with it. And f- for you, what do you think, why do you think you're kind of so competition and uh, competition works so well for, for you and your personality type? I It's so hard to put a finger on because I've never felt any other way. Right. Um, as, a, as a
2: tiny kid playing with my cousins, my older cousins, it used to infuriate me when they beat me at anything. Um, and I don't remember that and there being any particular motivation for that. I just hated losing in any, any scenario, sport, board games, dance mat, <laughs> could have been absolutely anything. And I just hated
1: losing. Um, but I think that's made me a better athlete because I just can't. Stand it. We obviously know you mainly as a long jumper, but back in 2012, you entered the Youth Winter Olympics as a bobsledder. You and your teammate became the country's first ever medal winning team at the competition and the only medalists for Britain that year, which is just awesome. Can you tell us more about this time?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So I was never intending to get into bobsleigh. I, um, At 16, I got a scholarship to a boarding school so that I could train full-time. My coaches in Stoke had jobs and they couldn't train me any more than they were, which was three times a week. And I really wanted to step it up and work harder at my athletics. And what ended up happening is within a month of me moving to the school, I'd taken up a different sport and I hadn't dropped athletics, but British Bobsleigh came to the school with a presentation saying, who wants to give it a go? Who wouldn't want to give that a go? Um, Me. (laughs) I promise it's really fun.
1: It's scary, but it's really fun. It looks terrifying.
2: It is. I'm not going to um, pretend it's not. It, it definitely is. Um, but some of the most fun that I've had. Um, and so I tried out for the team, and it was a lot of the same skills that I was already using doing athletics so we had standing long jump um standing vertical jump and 30 meter sprint and that was the stuff that was my bread and butter I was doing that anyway um so I tried out made the team and then we were basically working towards the winter youth olympics in 2012 so I spent the next two winters sort of only being in school about half of the time because we spent the rest of the
1: half um away in Europe on the ice. Wow that is that is the way you've the, the way this has altered your life is, is just is is quite astonishing. A quick question for you: How? Why would moving to boarding school mean? And this, sorry, this is probably really stupid of me. No, no. Why would moving to a boarding school mean that you could get full time coaching? Basically, the school that I chose has a track
2: on site. And instead of the PE teachers uh, and the athletics coaches being teachers at the school, they were independent athletics coaches. So they were just employed by the school to be athletics coaches. So it meant that they were there every day to train instead of my coaches back home, who could only make it two times, three times a week because they had jobs to do. The coaches at the school their jobs were to be athletics coaches
1: and so do you get a lot of athletes applying for these kind of scholarships yeah absolutely and um every every four years when the olympics comes around you see a
2: crazy amount of athletes that went to the school um in a bunch of different sports you know swimming athletics um modern pentathlon across the board there's quite a lot of successful athletes because there's a big emphasis on sport there
1: Obviously, I'm assuming that you're, you know, a really big advocate for young people having lots of opportunity when it comes to sport. It's such an incredible thing to get into. You learn such amazing life skills. Um, It's such a great way to meet people, learn how to interact with people. And obviously, if you have the skills and the ability to potentially be an Olympian one day, I'm assuming that, you know, you think we should make that possibility accessible for as many people as possible tell me about what you how you'd like to see things change if you would like to see them change because you know applying for a scholarship to a boarding school is something that I'm assuming isn't accessible to everyone
2: no and honestly people wouldn't have even known about it the only reason I knew to apply for a scholarship was that my friend who was also a long jumper was in the year above and suggested it to me almost as a joke um I'm not sure I know what the solution is but when I look at um I've spent a lot of time in the US because that's where my coach is and while this isn't quite possible almost every single high school in the US has a track and I understand that's not feasible for every school in the UK but if sort of the government could invest in more tracks I understand that's not the same for every single sport but I feel like athletics is the basis of movement for a lot of other sports you know learning to run learning to jump that can set you up for a lot of other things so if more people were able to access tracks and I think a lot of people don't know where their local track is uh, they don't know if they can use their local track I think if more kids were able to get into that they could then feed into other sports um I try and do school visits I try and go and you know see young people and encourage them to say look here's what's possible." Um, this isn't just for me. This could be for you too, but you know, it's not always.
1: Especially during the pandemic, I haven't been able to do a school visit for so long. Mm. You said in an interview with LSU Media last autumn, I take that responsibility seriously and I try to be someone that I'd want a younger version of me to look up to. How does this affect how you use your online platforms and the topics you focus on? Because obviously that's how I discovered you. I discovered you on social media. And I do notice that you that you use them, you know, in a specific way to make sure that, I guess, you're advocating for the things you care about.
2: Yeah, exactly. I On social media, I try... And put, as much as I'm comfortable with, I try and portray exactly how my life is. And then I talk about the things that I think maybe didn't get talked about enough when I was younger. So I've had a lot of issues with my period in sport. And, you know, I, at the Olympics in 2016, I my period came on and I almost wasn't able to compete because I was in so much pain. And I thought this can't just be me. Um, mm-hmm. If I talk about this, maybe some other athlete who's having these issues will be able to see and, and get help for that before it comes to the Olympic games and them having to deal with it on the spot. Um, And the response to me speaking about that was so, so great. And then from that, I've then been able to find activists for um, against period poverty. And that's something that I've become really passionate about through social media. But on top of that, on top of the sort of the big important things, I also like to try and show the little less important things um, on what it really is like day to day um as a professional athlete because some of the things are exactly as you'd expect but I think some aren't at all um and a lot of there's sort of a culture in athletics where we all post about our great results and we love getting the feedback and of course we love getting support from everybody but as soon as we have a bad result we just don't say anything um you know we just go quiet and then um, we sort of hide away until something good happens again and then we post but I, I try not to be like that I want to show especially young athletes. That's who I feel like I'm really talking to. I want to show them that the professionals have bad days as well.
1: And this is how I like to deal with it. I love talking about periods. So I would like to just touch on that a little bit more. Um, I, I, have you become more conscious of your cycle? Have you found ways to to deal with period pain better? I'm assuming that this affects. I mean, this, this must affect so many athletes, and like, it makes me think, like, what happens if the Olympics comes and on the day suddenly your periods, you know, a week early or whatever? Yeah, like it must be. This is it's a hu- it's a huge thing, and I'm sure not spoken about enough. I'd love to talk more about this. 100. percent So for some people, some people
2: manage it and it's fine, and they don't have. Sort of problems with their period. But for me, my period has arrived pretty much every single major championship I've ever done. My body seems to know that something important is happening and she doesn't want to be left out. So <laughs> in comes my period. She has FOMO. Um, so I pretty much know that whenever I have something important, my period is going to arrive. Um, and for 2016, I finally decided to speak to the team doctors about that and say, look, I have hard, hard I have an issue with my period. It's, it's really heavy and really painful. Um, and so can we try, is, is there a medical way we could try and move it? Uh, and they said, yeah, of course. So we'll start you six months early. We'll start you on some medication that should delay your period until after the competition. And I said, great. And it worked all the way up to the month of the Olympics. And then it just stopped working. My body said, absolutely not. We're not doing this. I will be there right on time for you. Um, and it was four hours before I was supposed to leave for the track for my first Olympics. My period turned up and I'm in excruciating pain. And in the end, I just had to take a load of painkillers and get out there because that was the only way, because we hadn't really planned for that because we didn't expect it to come because it wasn't supposed to, you know, I was taking medication to stop it coming. It just didn't work. And I think that's the experience of quite a lot of people. Our bodies are so powerful. Um, and sometimes the medication just won't work. And so now I try and work with it. Um, you know, I'll take extra magnesium, extra omega threes, uh, before my period to try and make it less heavy, less painful. Um, I found an anti-inflammatory that really works for me and doesn't affect my performance. So I am now able to handle my period around competition. Um, I wasn't sure until this year if I could compete at my best on day one of my period. That was my biggest worry, is that it would turn up on the day and I wouldn't be able to do it. But I've now washed those worries away because a few weeks ago um, it was early of course because it just wanted to show up I had a competition my last competition in the states and it was my sort of last bid attempt to get the olympic standard before I came home and my period arrived that morning and I did it anyway I jumped a new personal best and managed Yes. oh I'm so pleased to hear that (laughs) and it was great for me because I felt gross I felt really bloated and heavy and uh, it just felt like moving was a challenge you know you know how it can be sometimes on the first day of your period you feel awful yeah um and so I really didn't think it's going to happen for me that day but because it did it's now given me so much confidence going forward for the rest of the year because I know if my period turns up I'll be fine
1: yeah, I, I'm. I'm. I'm sorry to hear that, but I'm also really happy for you that you, you that you know you can go and absolutely slay uh, on <laughs> on day one. That's awesome. I'm sure, like the amount of period brands who would love to <laughs> to love to have you in their TV campaigns, talking about that very hey, thing. They I can, can see call it me now. up. They can call me up. We let's talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> um you did mention the 2016 olympics there in rio where you were a finalist um obviously when when your period checked in like like she always likes to um period decide, how was that experience And must have been just incredible
2: uh, it was just a dream come true and i say that in the most sincere way possible it it had been my childhood dream to compete at the olympics um And because Rio was, it was quite different, I think. I would attended both Beijing and London as a spectator. um, And there were a lot less tickets sold for Rio. And in a way that was a shame, but in a way it was great because it meant that I could very quickly identify my whole family, see them in the crowd there watching me, you know, fulfill the childhood dream that they'd helped facilitate. They had been there for me since I was a kid. They've been supporting me. And I was able to look up into the crowd, then with their Team Sawyers t-shirts on, waving at me, knowing like I've done it. You know, I ha- it doesn't mean I've done everything I ever want to do, but competing at the Olympics was a, a dream. And it just, I, I really took a moment when I was standing out there on the track to soak in the fact that I was living my childhood dream. Because who gets to do that? Not everybody. I felt it was a really, really special moment.
1: So good.
0: Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today.
1: In your 2017 TED Talk, which I loved, uh, titled Sometimes You Have to Quit to Win, you talked about how quitting Sheffield Uni, where there were great training facilities, to study law at Bristol and find a new training path for yourself was the right quitting choice for you. This sounds like it must have been A massive decision. Can you go into this a little bit for my listeners? Because I think a lot of them, you know, who have to make big decisions in life might find this really inspiring.
2: Yeah, of course. So, since I was about 14, the plan had always been for me to go to Sheffield Uni. There was a coach there that I wanted to work with, there were athletes there that um, I knew would be good training partners for me, and the facilities were top notch. So, the plan was always to go to Sheffield and work with this coach. And as expected, I followed through with the plan, I got into Sheffield, and I started my first year there. And I just didn't gel with the coach like I was expecting to um and so the we did the winter and I got through it and I trained really well I was stronger than I'd ever been I was faster than I'd ever been um but all of a sudden my performances had dropped I had lost about 60 centimeters compared to what I was jumping the year before which in long jump is huge um and so I was thinking okay what's the problem here I'm you know I'm stronger I'm faster training's been great I technically should have everything that I need but I was just unhappy I didn't gel with the coach in the way that I wanted to and some athletes are just coachable and they can go anywhere and just be given a program and do it but I really needed to have a particular kind of relationship with my coach in order for me to thrive and so after speaking with my old coach from from school and um, speaking with my parents I made the decision before I had anything planned, which was a bit rash, but I knew it was the right thing to do, um, to drop out of Sheffield, try and transfer to Bristol um, and to change coaches and go back to my old coach. And I kind of, I made that decision all at once. I didn't think too hard about it. My dad came and helped me pack up my room and I turned up to training one morning and said, in my jeans and said, I'm leaving. And my coach said, when? And I said, right now. And I got on a coach and I went straight back, um, straight back to Somerset. Wow. But within within a few weeks, i had improved 40 centimetres again because I was just so much happier. And I think that taught me more than anything that it's not just all the things that should work on paper that matter. It's
1: your own wellbeing and how you feel within yourself. That, that really counts too. Preach. Absolute preach, <laughs> thank you. Um, no big deal, but you're also a singer-songwriter. <laughs> and in the same year that you did your TED Talk, you were also a contestant on the voice where I you was. secured <laughs> Will I Am as your singing coach. Um, for any podcast fans who listen to who love podcasts and like Will I Am, I would recommend any podcast he's ever done. He's incredible and so good to listen to a podcast. Um, but yeah, let us talk about this experience um singing songwriting, will I am the voice, and how much a part singing is uh of your life now and also potentially in your future so I when I was a kid I did a lot of musical theater so I was never really
2: like an out and out singer just because um, you weren't busy enough with well. athletics <laughs> I found it hard to say no to things I just wanted to try everything um and so I did musical theater when I was much younger but I, aged about 14 I had to stop because athletics was taking over and I didn't have time for both um so I did make sort of a sensible decision there and stopped doing musical theatre but when I got to uni um I really wanted to sing again but I wanted to go and do sort of open mic nights around Sheffield where I was but I couldn't play an instrument and so I started to teach myself guitar so that basically I could accompany myself and go around and just sing just for fun, really. At that point, I wasn't even thinking of writing songs. I wasn't thinking of making this a whole big thing. I just wanted something else to do, a sort of creative outlet. Um, And I have always liked singing, so I just wanted to do that more. Um, I had a friend who worked in the music industry who I was FaceTiming one day, who saw my guitar in the background of the the video and said, you know, why do you have a guitar? You're an athlete. I said, oh, you know, I'm just, I'm learning. Um, And he said, right, well, I'm booking you a gig then. And he booked me a slot at one of the music nights that he uh, worked on, that he managed. And it kind of went from there. He then said to me, why don't you try and write something? So I did, Um, because why don't you start putting things up on YouTube? And so I did. (laughs) Um, And then a couple of years down the line, uh, The Voice got in touch and said, we've seen your YouTube videos, do you wanna come and audition? And I said, well, I would love to, but I'm kind of busy. Um, This year I'm trying to qualify for the Olympics and I'm trying to finish my law degree. And they were like, oh, there's a story. We love that, okay. Well, why don't you come back next year then, once you're finished? And so, yeah, I did. The day after we got back from Rio, I went for my first round of auditions for The Voice.
1: Wow, you're such an overachiever. It's absolutely <laughs> wild. I love it, I love it. I promise, they just love the story. You know how these shows love the story. No, but no, you're doing yourself such a discredit- a disservice. I've watched the audition, you were absolutely fantastic. Oh, thanks. It's, um, it's scary
2: though. I it's way, way scarier than athletics, um, especially on the voice. So what you don't see, when you walk out there, they walk you out onto the stage and there's a cross and you have to stand on the cross. And the audience are told to be completely silent, but the music doesn't start for about 30 seconds. And that is the longest 30 seconds of your life because the audience is staring you in the face, but all you can see of the judges is the backs of their chairs. And you're just standing there, heart absolutely pounding out of your chest, thinking, is the music
1: ever going to start? It's such a great format, that show. It's honestly, it's because that tension is just like nothing else. How are you feeling about the Tokyo Olympics? It's obviously a really, really unusual one. And how have you kept up your momentum and your positivity in the run up to it, especially after the year that we've had? So honestly, I'm nothing but excited um normally we work
2: in four-year cycles all our training is geared around every four years being ready for the olympic games now obviously we had to kind of adjust that and in the same way that the rest of the world had to adjust um and it's now been a five-year cycle but despite my initial disappointment about the olympics being postponed i managed to turn it into a positive in thinking that well if i was going to be good in 2020 then i have a whole extra year to be even better um so, and it, it really is true. I am a whole year better, a whole year stronger, and a whole year faster than I would have been at the Olympics for last year. Um, for some people who are coming to the end of their careers, it might have been a year too many. But for me, I still feel like I've yet to peak. It was kind of perfect for me because I got an extra year to improve. Um, I understand that for some people, the they don't want the Olympics to happen. And I can totally get that but as athletes we get asked a lot you know well how do you feel about that and you think well this is my job I'm just here to do my job and to fulfill my dream and it's not going to be the same I'm not going to be able to look into the crowd and see my parents Uh, you know there's no international um, spectators allowed and the stadium can be half full up to a maximum of 10,000 so I really hope that when the Olympics begins that the Japanese fans do come out and support the athletes because it's amazing that they're going to be able to hold this safely I'm so excited that they've found a way to do it um but i still have to be selected there's currently four long jumpers in the uk four female long jumpers with the olympic standard um and in three days time uh we'll be battling it out for those three spots
1: oh i (laughs) I just got goosebumps all over me
2: I'm nervous but in in the best kind of way these are my favorite trials is my favorite competition of the year every year Uh, I love the pressure being on um I love it when there's a bit of drama at at one point there was only three of us qualified and I said to my friend I said I really hope that the fourth qualifies so that it's we have to fight for it um because yeah someone will miss out but it makes it a bit more exciting doesn't
1: it (laughs) I think that leads us quite nicely on to talking about your your relationship with your boyfriend, who is a British indoor 800-meter champion, Guy Learmonth. Um, I, I've actually really enjoyed watching a couple of interviews with you, both together, and how you talked about um, neither of you expecting to date another athlete. <laughs> Talk to me about how it's been dating another athlete. And I'm also really, really interested to know what happens when you're both attending a big competition say like the olympics like how much time you can spend with each other like how superstitious (laughs) you are about staying up late and like tell tell me about this and obviously only tell me what you're comfortable with
2: (laughs) so dating an athlete i always expected to be a bit of a nightmare um i deliberately stayed away from athletes because well i've seen how they behave at competitions
1: (laughs) (laughs) So I've
2: been like, no. Tell me more. Me. Oh, I mean, you can the rumors imagine. true. The rumours are true. The rumours could not be more true. Um,
1: everybody's a mess and it doesn't it's it's as bad as you think. But, <laughs> but presumably only after the competition's ended when like everyone's drinking and In theory. But wow. I've seen some things. I've seen some incidences at
2: um holding camps for competition. It's never gonna be at the competition in terms of like a few days before, but right. Sometimes we go away on camps and we're out there two weeks before the competition. And yeah, I've seen bits and pieces. I've never engaged in those bits and pieces um, because I'm very focused and I'm a very professional athlete. (laughs) But uh, once we're finished, it's anyone's game, right? (laughs) Look, we've been working hard for years. It's time to let loose. Absolutely. (laughs) But no. So um, yeah, I always intended to not date an athlete. And the non-athletes that I've dated, you know, lovely people, but nobody ever really got it. Um, nobody ever kind of understood how it feels understood the the seriousness of training, even you know I'd had boyfriends in the past that had asked me if I could just,' oh, I've got a week off in July. can you take a week off and i don't i don't I can't take weeks off I can't book holiday um I get a week off when the season's finished, yeah, um you know the the competitions won't wait for me um so I, I I don't think people always understood that. And they thought that in the same way that they could just book weeks off with their boss, I could just book weeks off with my coach and you, you just can't. Um, it's been amazing being with somebody who has been through all the same things, has been through all the same emotions and understands when something doesn't seem like a big deal to the outside world, how it really still is to me. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, some certain competition that that didn't really matter, but I'd sort of set my heart on doing well at, or if training had been going well, or even if I just had a bad training session and I'm then in a bad mood for the rest of the day, Guy understands that because he's felt it too. Whereas, you know, for some people, they might just go, well, you know, it's just even a lift in the gym, for example, if I miss a PB lift in the gym that I thought I was going to get, that can really sort of rock me. Um, That can really knock my confidence. And some people just wouldn't, I think understand that to the same level I, maybe i'm being unfair maybe it's just the boys that i've dated <laughs> but guys guys great and in terms of competition uh when we're both at a major competition to be honest we don't even see that much of each other i think we're so focused on ourselves and that is one of the dangers of dating athletes is that we're very selfish but at least if there's both of us then we're too focused on ourselves to worry about the other one um at major competitions i'll probably see them at meal times but you you almost always unless you're a big deal unless you're a big name you have a roommate um, so, your question about late nights there's no um, late nights
1: before competition, <laughs> as you will always have every mate with you. <laughs> how much sleep are you how much sleep do you try to get the night before a competition and actually at the moment like I'm assuming sleep is really really important sorry here I go again like asking these these really small questions I I,
2: I love these kind of questions I'm a big sleeper so I'm a sort of 10 hours and I would say a night but not a night I'm a 10 hours a day kind of person if I get nine at night I'll probably have a nap for about an hour in the day um love that 10 to 10 and a half is my kind of what I aim for and that's when I perform best when I've had
1: about 10 10 and a half hours sleep that is so so good to know I love that 10 and a half sounds absolutely but it makes perfect (laughs) sense right because you have your body has to recover so much more than your kind of average joe
2: exactly and I just don't think people um value sleep as much as they should sleep I always refer to it as my secret weapon um it's free it's really easy and it's really fun um and it'll make you better uh, up until this year, my personal best came after my sort of personal best week of sleep. You know, i So it's, I think the correlation is really, really strong.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. I'm actually looking at a book right now, um, Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker. Have you I read it? I love that book. It's so good. It, it validated me so much. I'm like, yeah, I will go to bed.
2: I will take a nap in the middle of the day. You can't stop me. It's for science.
1: I really, I I saw last year that you spoke to your followers, um, this was shifting gears slightly, but last year you spoke to your followers about Black Lives Matter and how being anti-racist will always be a continual process. Um, You also called on your fellow athletes who'd been posting as normal to really take a moment and show some support. I'm interested to know how much you think athletes um, and the athletics world has embraced taking on anti-racist work, especially over the past year. It's interesting because I
2: think a lot of individuals and organizations made the commitment initially, and I've seen very little since. Right. And I understand people getting caught up and wanting to do things and then not knowing where to go, but uh, there's been so many resources shared that it's that's really not an excuse at this point. If you wanted to find anti-racist work to do, you could do it. But then that's only some of the people. I've had a lot of people that have been in touch with me personally, um, about their anti-racist work with questions and with just comments in general. I know that um, British athletics have kept their promise so far to be, to push their anti-racist work um, and they've still been doing it. I've seen panels that they've been holding um, and work they've been doing. And, you know, I do get asked about, you know, are they doing enough? Are they not doing enough? And I, I'm not necessarily sure that it's my job to police them. Um, I did, like you say, want to sort of speak to my followers and say, look, it's it's a job that you're going to have to do for a long time. It's not going to be you read one book and then you're not racist anymore or that you don't do anything racist or say or feel anything racist. Um, but I think the biggest lesson that a lot of people still struggle with is that um, doing something racist doesn't make you a bad person necessarily. It's, if you don't didn't know, then that doesn't make you a bad person. This is the sort of society that we're in is biased towards white people and we all grew up in that society so nobody's blaming people for that the blame comes when you understand the problem and you still decide not to do anything yeah Um,
1: i can i can i can understand also why you say that it's you know it's not your job to police them because also obviously that's emotional labor from you exactly um especially
2: with the organization that i work so closely with trying to make teams to represent my country i don't feel on top of that as you know a black woman that's necessarily my job to then make sure that they're doing everything right
1: Mm. when you in terms of being paid as an athlete do you get like a kind of standard rate almost from the government and then the brand pays you like it's that's why it's so important to have a big brand because they kind of pay you on top of that and that's probably more of your money that you're earning so this is again
2: it's not like a small silly question everybody wants to know like how do you even get paid as an athlete um so there's lottery funding um, which if you hit certain standards, if you come how, in the top, I don't know, 12, 24, whatever it is um, at world level, then you get placed onto lottery funding and British athletics decide who gets that. Um, but if you make a certain amount outside of the sport, you don't get the money from the lottery funding. You just get the access to the um, medical treatment, um, sports science, doctors, et etc. Et Everything that sort of is on that side of things, but you don't get paid. Um, so yes, you do get paid by your shoe brand Um, and that for a lot of athletes makes up the bulk of their income. Um, So I've been signed with Adidas for how many years is that? Nine years. Um, And for most of my career, that's been the bulk of my income. Mm -hmm. Um, The Contracts can work in different ways. You can have a kit only contract where they send you as much kit as you need to train and compete. You can have a kit and bonuses contract where you don't get paid a flat rate, but you do get um bonuses depending on your performance so for a long jumper for example maybe you'd get a bonus for winning the british champs you get a bonus for jumping a certain distance you get a bonus for making the top eight at the olympics etc um and then on the third kind of contract is a retainer bonuses and kit so you do get your retainer that you're paid no matter what and then you get bonuses on top of that and
1: kit that was so interesting thank you so much no so I feel like i I, lo- I know so much more now Quick fire with Jasmine. Wake up early or have a lion? Wake up early. Oh, no, have a lion. Why did I say that? It's a lie. Have a lion. <laughs> <laughs> Breakfast, lunch or dinner? Breakfast. Tea or coffee? Coffee. Showers or baths? Ooh, showers. Singing or songwriting? Oh, songwriting. Dress up or dress down? Dress up. Bobsledding or long jump? <gasps> long jump. Oh, Marathon or sprint? Sprint, my goodness. Gymnastics or table tennis? Gymnastics. Sunrise or sunset? Sunrise. And finally, routine or spontaneity? Oh, spontaneity.
2: I'd love to think that I'm uh, good at routine, but routines last about a week in this house. And then I need a new one because it's gotten boring.
1: (laughs) Even with everything that you do, I'm surprised. Yeah, I'm surprised too. Honestly, I, I have to make
2: things exciting in order for me to actually do them and you'd think i'd just be able to have the discipline and crack on with it but i've i figured this out about myself it has to be exciting otherwise i just won't either exciting or ridiculously easy so all the things all my sort of supplements that i have to take are always out and visible and then i have i watch um other athletes YouTube uh I watch other athletes Instagram stories to get me motivated and excited about things um I re-watch old athletics competitions to get me back in the mood if I'm sort of not trying very hard one day if I notice myself not trying hard enough I'll have to watch some old athletics to make it exciting again um <laughs> love that so routine is
1: fun when it's new mm-hmm, uh, I get that. and then I have to make a new one <laughs> I love that insight. Uh, I'd love to hear what is your one non-negotiable daily self-care habit?
2: I say non-negotiable, I negotiate with myself nightly on this, um, is writing in my journal before bed. Um, it's something that I'm going to call it a non-negotiable because it is. my life is always better when I'm doing this. Um, and I do argue with myself about it. I'm like, okay, write three lines. You just write something. And if I get what's in my head down onto paper before I go to sleep, I'll fall asleep instantly. Um, and falling asleep instantly is self-care to me.
1: Yeah, I mean, it gets you closer to that ten and a half hours. There you me. go, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> have you read anything recently or listened to anything or watched something recently that you can't stop thinking about, loved and would recommend? Yes.
2: So a few things. I'm going to recommend, it was, wasn't that recently, but I'm going to recommend it anyway because it's so good and I don't think that many people in the UK have heard of it bravey um a book by alexi pappas who is a greek american runner uh, and it's her memoir and everyone thinks it's bravery but it's not it's bravey without the r at the end and it's so beautifully written and it's such a great inspirational book for for an athlete or a non-athlete i just couldn't recommend it enough it's i read it in january and it's still my favorite book of the year
1: love that thank you so much for recommending it i'll add it to the show notes um if you could advise listeners to do or try one thing today to help them find joy what would it be oh take a nap just find a
2: space and you i mean that's not that's not accessible for everybody that's kind of uh that's you know not everybody can just stop in the middle of the day and take a nap but if you can find even on a day off
1: Find a little hour in your day and just go to sleep. Jasmine, I really don't like naps. Oh, no. And I really want to, but I always wake up feeling really groggy. How long do you nap for? I don't know. It's (laughs) because I never intend to do it. And then when it happens, probably about like 20 minutes, half an hour.
2: Hmm.
1: Maybe... Maybe you need to be more intentional with your naps. If you're okay. doing it
2: not on purpose... But then again, maybe it
1: isn't for everybody. Maybe this is just too personal. No, because I've heard they are super good for you. Like, I think Matthew Walker is a really big advocate for napping. It's... um, I... Well, when I say I nap, I usually sort of actually
2: sleep. My um SNC coach told me that what I do can't be counted as napping because I sleep for at least an hour and a half.
1: But <laughs> <laughs> It's just another sleep.
2: Yeah, you're just going back to bed, Jazz. <laughs> um, but if you maybe yeah maybe be more intentional about it I'm not sure maybe tr- play around with the timings but you know okay. what it's okay if it's not for you it's not for you okay.
1: um maybe go to bed earlier then I, I will I mean I get into bed early enough as it is <laughs> but I will. I'm like in bed at 9 30 but I will I'll, oh, you've I'll, nailed it. I'll keep you posted with my nap Thanks. progress um and finally what is one thing you hope your older self will have achieved it's very specific And I don't know if it'll ever happen,
2: but you know, when you're at a gig and the artist sings and starts singing the line of the song and then they stop and then the audience sing the rest of the line back to them. I want that one time. I don't care when or what I want somebody, I want to be performing one of my songs, stop singing and the crowd knows it and sings it back to me. That is a very specific thing that I would like to happen to me in the future.
1: I just just love... I mean, the thing is, you you will achieve all of these things. You are, like, you're just so good at so many things. So I'm very excited to watch this all happen for you in the future. Thanks, (laughs) Venetia. It's been such a pleasure, Jasmine. Thank you so much. And I'm wishing you all the luck in the world. And when this comes out, I think we will know the outcome. So I'm just... I'm crossing everything.
2: Oh, god, how awkward if, like, this comes out and I haven't made the team. Oh, God. Well, I think I will. I really think I will, so. fingers
1: think you will, too.
2: I think you will, too.
1: <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I really hope you enjoyed it. And I'm sure now, like me, you are very much Team Sawyers at this year's Olympic Games. If you're new to this series, welcome aboard. There are so many episodes for you to sink your teeth into. And next week's episode is actually gonna be the final episode of this season, but I'm already planning season three and I'm super excited for what's to come. As always, you can share the episode on your Instagram stories, tagging me at Venetia LaMana and tagging at ATST Podcast. And if you'd like to get in touch with the show, you can just pop me a DM on Instagram at ATST Podcast. And I'll see you back here, same time, same place, next week for the season finale.